Welcome to Creation Radio and TV. I'm your host, Mike Riddle, the president and founder of Creation Training Initiative. And with us this week, we have Pastor Bill Rillo continuing his message about biblical discernment. Welcome back, Bill. Thank you for having me back. Now, where are you the pastor again? I'm the pastor at the Hyde Park Baptist Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. I've been there 12 years. Now, we've, last week we talked about biblical discernment, and you gave some, you actually gave some names, and you talked about some uh, false gospels out there. And this week we promised our people out there, you were going to talk about some popular books out there, and who are the authors of these books, and what are they talking about? And is it really biblical, or is it a, again, a false doctrine, false gospel that's being taught? Well, those are great questions. And deception can come into the church in many different forms, not necessarily just the pastor standing in the pulpit, but a very popular way is books that are written under the title of Christian books, sold in the Christian bookstore. Are they true to the gospel? Do they present God as He really is? And the only way to know, to, to discern it, is to, is to have biblical spiritual discernment and compare it with the Word of God. Now, last time I was here, we talked about, I mentioned some different Gospels that are not the true Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Prosperity Gospel, the Word Faith Gospel, the Social Gospel, Universalism, uh, as if all faiths lead to heaven. Uh, there's one more I want to mention because it leads into these books that are so popular today, and it is a, a, the new Gospel of a mystical, experiential Gospel, meaning... Uh, it's not so much important what the Bible says. Uh, the scriptures are okay, but what is really important is that we experience God through our feelings, that He gives us impressions, that uh, we may have dreams or visions that He gives us. Uh, a popular phrase is, God told me this. And uh, you can't find it in the Bible, but, but God told me, so it's, it's got to be true. And quite often what God tells these people and what they write in their books goes completely against contrary to the written Word of God. Popular distortions of the Gospel, and it's, I call them popular, and they are. They're bestsellers, many of them. Number one on the New York Times bestselling list. We see many Christian bookstores uh, promoting these as their book of the month. Uh, a couple years ago, uh, one made the rounds was very popular. Churches were buying this book and giving it out to their people. It was called The Shack by William Paul Young. And in it, he presents a God and a Jesus and a Holy Spirit that we do not find in the Bible. How God relates to humans and accepts them is contrary to the gospel. Uh, another popular book right now is more of a devotional book. It's called Jesus Calling. Uh, a young lady wrote this, uh, Sarah Young. I don't believe she is uh, related to William Paul Young. And it's a 365-day daily devotional. And she claims that as in her personal devotional time, as she would be, be still and, and know that uh, God is God, that God would speak to her in a special way. And she would, whatever God would tell her, she would write it down. And she thought this would be very helpful to other people. Mm -hmm. So she's written this book called Jesus Calling. And what is dangerous about it is that uh, much of what she says Jesus told her, again, runs contrary to what Jesus says in the Word of God. And the way it's written, you read a, a daily passage and it says, 
I want you to do this. I want you to experience this. I am here for you. I love you. And she says, understand that the I is Jesus. So this isn't me, the writer, giving you advice. This is Jesus talking. Now, if Jesus is truly talking, we must listen. We must obey. And though she denies it, if she says, she, which she claims this is Jesus, it is everything she writes is as authoritative as the Word of God. But it's not. And it's quite contrary to the Word of God. People love these books. Usually they say, because it makes me feel so good. And these writers appeal to our feelings instead of to our intellect, which we are able to measure against the true Word of God. A, a popular book and a DVD series that many churches are using nowadays is called The Circle Maker. And we've been talking about this in our church a little bit. This, patter, uh, this pastor, Mark Patterson, has uh, found a new way to have power with God. And he found it reading ancient Jewish writings, not the scriptures, not the word of God, but from the Talmud, uh, there's a certain section called the legends of the Jews. That should give you a clue right there. A legend is not a true story. It's a myth. It's a fairy tale. But there's one particular uh, rabbinical writing about Honi the circle maker. And they claim that in the first century B.C., before Christ, there was a horrible drought in the land of Israel. All of Israel was about to be wiped out, according to this pastor. And a prophet named Honi, who's never mentioned in the Bible, again, the Talmud said he's a fictitious character, he, um, he goes out into the desert. The people ask him to pray to God uh, for rain. And he goes out in the desert, and with his staff, his rod, he draws a circle around him, and he tells God, I'm going to stay in this circle until you send rain and spare our lives. And he prayed, and what do you know? God sent rain miraculous rain. And so Pastor Mark Batterson in his book, uh, The Circle Maker, says that we can use this same technique to have power with God. We just have to draw a circle, get in it, and pray until God answers that prayer. Now, I don't remember Jesus saying anything in the scriptures, the gospels, about drawing circles. I don't remember the apostle Paul telling the churches, draw circles and God will do what you want him to do. This is just totally made up. And, and in fact, the only place that I can find in ancient writings about drawing a circle and having power in that circle is in witchcraft. That's a very popular technique that they do uh, to give them a sphere of protection from some spirits and to have power in the circle. And so all that I can find, evidentially, for the accuracy of his book, has nothing to do with God's word, but it's more akin to, to witchcraft. And so... Again, the, the premise of the book is that we can manipulate God. Now, how would people know to this? How would they know the book is false? Well, they should know right from the introduction when he tells them that this is based on a legend, not a true story. And read the Word of God for themselves. What, what do we find in the Scriptures about making circles and having power in there? Absolutely nothing. But I'll, I'll bet in his book he never says, check this out with the Bible. I'm guessing he does not. The parts that I have read, the videos that I've watched that he's produced, uh, it, it's uh, the popular way of teaching is to a half of a verse here or a, a legend or a tradition here, and then you just take off and build on it. Isn't that what Satan did? He, he knows Scripture. He yeah. uses, but he distorts it. Absolutely. There is uh, another, and it's been out for a while, Be Still and Know 
be still and know that I am God, uh, both a book and I believe videos on it, very popular in many churches. And again, just that phrase, be still and know that I am God. Almost every Christian has heard that. Many sermons have been preached on it. But where does it come from in the scriptures? Did Jesus say, be still and know that I am God? He, he didn't. And how it is presented to us is that there are times in our lives when we need to be still. Just be quiet, go off by yourself into your prayer closet and meditate. Empty your mind, be still, and God will reveal himself to you. Now, be still and know that I am God is a verse in the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. It comes when a prophet is revealing to the nation of Israel that God has been judging them by allowing their enemies to come against them and to defeat them because they've been disobedient to God. They have not been worshiping and pleasing Him. And so as a particular battle is coming up, God says to His people and to the army of Israel, in this instance, be still. Don't fight and see what I will do on your behalf. That's completely different than this transcendental meditation of be still and God will give you a special message. So even that verse is used out of context today. So we're not supposed to empty our minds. No. The Bible does talk about meditation. Transcendental meditation, which is so popular today, is to empty your mind, to kind of uh, erase your consciousness. And uh, sometimes they will have you repeat a certain word over again and again and again until it loses its meaning. And so when you have the emptiness in your mind, then these spirits can fill your mind and teach you. Biblical meditation is never described in that way. We are to meditate upon what God has said, God's truth, God's word. Meditate on the scriptures because when we empty our minds, many spirits can talk to us and it's not always the Holy Spirit. So uh, that's the Be Still and No series. Uh, the book, uh, very popular, heart-wrenching, gripping books like Heaven is Real, I believe written uh, by the, the father of a six-year-old boy who, who died and went to heaven. And he, come back, he comes back and tells us what heaven is like, what God is like, the angels. And there's many popular books about people who have died and gone to either heaven or hell. And it's so, it's so touching because the main message is in the next life, it's warm, it's light, there's acceptance, there's peace, there's nothing but happiness. But when we read the Bible, God tells us that that's not all that's out there in the next life. There is a heaven that awaits those who are right with God through Jesus Christ, but there is a hell, eternal torment, that awaits those who reject Jesus Christ and refuse to live for God. And so these books about having gone to heaven, A, presents a false view, an unbiblical view of what heaven actually is, but it also presents a distorted picture of who God is. He's only a God of love. He's only a God of mercy and tenderness. Uh, the Bible says that God is a God of, He is holy. He is righteous. He's the judge of all the earth. God has wrath. He is angry with sin every day. And these popular books don't tell us that about God, uh, just the, the warm fuzzy. That might be a reason a lot of people don't want to believe in the worldwide flood back there in Genesis because God judged the entire world and they don't like to think about he's coming back to judge it again. Why did that flood come? It wasn't just uh, Mother Nature 
getting mad. God says that he looked down from heaven and saw that the, every thought of man was only evil all the time. And because of that, it grieved God that, his, that he had made man, that men had turned that far against him. And so, so in judgment, he, he wiped them out. The Bible says that Jesus is coming again. He came once a couple thousand years ago to bring salvation. He's not coming back to bring salvation the next time. He's coming as King of kings, Lord of lords, to rule over, to judge the nations, to punish unrighteousness and wickedness. And so uh, people talk about, well, the Old Testament, God was wrath. He was angry. But Jesus is love. And you read Revelation. When it reads, Revelation tells about the, 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 the tribulations, the judgments of God that are being poured out upon the earth, tremendous suffering for those who refuse and rebel against God. They cry out, who will save us from the wrath of the Lamb? The Lamb is Jesus Christ. So at the appropriate time, he will come with that wrath. And so these modern uh, gospels present a completely different picture of who Jesus is and who God is. The a very popular book just came out in the last year or so by Pastor Rob Bell. It's called Love Wins. And it's kind of on the same thing. It is, it is universalism in, in disguise. And basically, he says God is such a God of love that everyone's going to be saved. Atheists, murderers, adulterers, uh, just the most wicked of people, people that hate God. People that deny that Jesus ever lived, they don't want to be saved. That after they die, uh, Rob Bell says that there will be kind of like a purgatory where God will convince them that uh, it's good to believe in God and eventually God's love will win everyone over. So we don't need to worry about hell. So it doesn't matter what we do down here. Does. That almost opens everything up to anarchy. Absolutely. Do what's right in our own minds. Exactly, because if God's love is going to win me over, I might as well live this life the way I want and let him fix me up in the next life. But, you know, Jesus didn't say that. That almost sounds a little bit like this relativism. That's true for you, but not for me, and there's no real standard. But, you know, I, I find, when I find somebody who believes in this relativism, just preach love, when you make it personal to them, all of a sudden their whole worldview falls apart. Yep. Yep, it, the, these, these false and these are false teachings because they contradict the Word of God. They do not stand up to scrutiny when compared with the Scriptures. Uh, the, the Love Wins book is, is and it's, these books are dangerous to Christians, but they are extremely dangerous, dangerous to unbelievers because it leads a person who does not want to submit to Jesus Christ, does not want to give their life to Him, does not want to bow their knee and confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, it says, you're okay with God. And we have to be careful how we speak of the love of God. God is love. Scriptures are very clear. This, we know uh, not that we have loved God, but that He first loved us. John 3, 16, the most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. But, but I hear people say, God's love is unconditional. Or God loves you just the way you are. And I understand the intent of it, but what people hear, well, if God's love is for me is unconditional, then I don't need to change anything. If God loves me just the way I am, I must not be a sinner. No need to repent. No need to confess Christ. And so these, these books are written by people claiming to be Christians, trying to help us uh, have a better life with God, and yet they're actually leading people away from the 
from the True Gospel, a super popular book by perhaps the most popular pastor in America, Joel Osteen, was uh, Living Your Best Life Now. And again, the, the, the whole premise of the book is that God, is, God exists for you to make you happy, to make you successful, to give you whatever you want in life. The sad thing is not that these people are writing these books. What is sad to me is that these are bestsellers among Christians. And in other words, people that, that buy these books claim to be Christians, believers, claim to believe in the Word of God, but they don't recognize the, the falsehood, the errors, the deceptions in these books. And so these popular deceptions come into the church through, through many ways, and they are so dangerous because i got a list of a few things they do. First of all, these false teachings present a false god. They distort his character, his nature. They deny his holiness. And they tell you, they lead you to believe that everyone's okay with God and he's okay with all of us. But, but these false teachings also present a false Jesus that he's only concerned with me and my happiness. He came to make my life perfect. And so they, uh, they pump up our self-esteem, our, our needs. And, and the, the Jesus of these false gospels never calls us to repent, never calls us to confess our sin, to, to, to deny ourselves, and to sacrifice everything for Christ. In other words, if he came to make your life happy, he came to my life happy. Well, some of the things that you do may not make me happy. So how can we have heaven down here then? <laughs> and, and the really sad thing is, is when you get someone to come to a church or you tell them that God is here for you to make your life perfect and happy and they believe in it and they believe in that Jesus, what happens when their child dies? What happens when their spouse leaves them? When they get unemployed or a war breaks out in their land? Wait a minute. I thought Jesus was going to make my life perfect. This, this isn't my idea of perfect. And so they say, it must not work. I'm not going to believe anymore. And they're turned away from the true gospel. It, what, one thing that is scary is that you hear people, when they read one of these books, whether it's The Shack or Love Wins, they say, I learned more about God from that book than I ever did in the Bible. Or... I now, because I've read this book, I think about God in a completely different way. I learned things about God I never knew before. Well, you did learn some things that maybe you knew before, but they're not true. It's, it's like the uh, uh, Alistair Begg talks about uh, the man who will preach from a single verse and develop all of these things and teachings out of the verse, and someone comes away and says, Wow, I never saw that in that verse. How did he get all of that out of there? And he says, well, it's like the magician who pulls a rabbit out of the hat. It's because he put the rabbit in there first. And people put things in the Word of God that's really not there. We've got to be careful about that. And I see the same thing in my situation when I talk about creation evolution. They, they've changed the character of God because they're blaming God for all the evil is in the world rather than sin. And that's what happens when you add these billions of years into the Bible where, where, what did sin do? There was already death and decay and disease before Adam and Eve. Why do we need to be, what do we need to be saved from anymore? Because God did it all. He caused the death. He caused all the destruction going on. And people today are shaking their fist at God. It's amazing that you mention that, shaking their fist at God. There are a few books I've read lately by pastors who 
are so angry at God and they curse him to his face. And when tragedy happens in, in someone else's life and they come to the pastor looking for assurance from God's word, the pastor says, I can't give it to him because I'm mad at God. These men should not be in the pastorate. They should not be trying to teach people how to know God and love God when they themselves, their life is, is a mess. And, 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 and we all, I'm not perfect. I'm, I'm still a sinner. I thank God that he has forgiven me and that the Holy Spirit is using the word of God to, to change me. He won't let me live in my sin. He convicts me of it and he, God disciplines me when I, in love when I refuse to live for Christ. But he's molding and shaping me, I trust, into godliness. That's his plan for us. And that's another thing that these false gospels do. They present a false salvation experience. Their salvation is man-centered. That God exists for me. He's only here to make me complete and my life happy. And in fact, I actually fulfill God. I make God more complete. Um, this gospel tells us, the new false gospel tells us that we're not saved from sin. God simply saves us to make us a success. And this gospel denies and, and downplays the seriousness of sin. They minimize God's wrath that God is a God of wrath. Uh, they, they minimize judgment and hell, if not even outright denying it. And so they tell us that we're only saved to enjoy our life, that our dreams can be fulfilled, and that Jesus and God exist to serve us. And what this does, these false gospels elevate man, the value of man, and they devalue God every time. And it diminishes God's glory, it dishonors him, it, we end up serving and worshiping the creature rather than the creator, as we read in Romans. Sounds like we're trying to make God in our image. Absolutely. That happens. And that's a danger when we start uh, telling God what, he, what he's really like versus going back to the scripture and checking these things out. And that is what we call biblical discernment. Now, if you had a final word, you've talked about the, these people with their false preaching, their, their uh, false doctrines, and all these other Gospels. Let's make sure we clearly understand what is the Gospel, just the basic, simple Gospel for everybody out there, Bill. The Gospel is the most important thing that anyone can know. Uh, uh, the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 1.16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek. Without the gospel, no one is saved. We can't bypass it. The gospel, he, elsewhere he speaks about that he preached the gospel. He made known that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. He died, he was buried, and he rose again from the dead. And he did that. God sent Jesus to earth, the Son of God to earth, taking on human flesh, to be made like his brothers so that he might be that sacrificial lamb uh, sacrificed by God for our sins so that we can be accepted by God. So that's one of our first tests. Who is Jesus? What Jesus are they talking about? And go back to the gospel. Is this what they're saying? That God sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to suffer and die on that cross? Horrible death. Matter of fact, I take it back this way. You know, none of us are going to heaven. None of us deserve heaven except for God sent His only begotten Son. 
And that's the only way we're going to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on that cross because we were the ones that deserved those nails and those thorns. We were the ones that deserved that. But that's where we have a God of love. He loved the world so much that he put his son on that cross to take those nails, take those thorns, take those lashings, so we didn't have to suffer that penalty. And then he died on that cross and he was raised on the third day to live forever and ever. That's the message they have to test everything against. Absolutely. And, and we've spoken about false gospels and the true gospel, and we've spoken about, I've spoken about the need for discernment. And it, just in a minute, if I could mention, some people say, well, how do, I, how do I get discernment? How do I be discerning? Do I really need to be discerning? Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippian church in Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, he says, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Apostle Paul says we need to be discerning. What is, what is discernment? Discernment is the ability to, to distinguish between good and bad, right and wrong. It's the opposite. A discerning person is not gullible. Gullible, you just believe what you hear. And today if someone says, I'm a Christian, and they tell you something, uh, a discerning person weighs what they have heard, no matter who says it, against the Word of God. So how can the average believer, uh, the average person in the pew, become discerning? Well, you need to, it helps to be sitting under good biblical expository preaching, preaching that's faithful to God's Word. Secondly, you need to know and you need to be examining the Scriptures for yourself, comparing what God says in His Word against all of these popular deceptions that are being put out there. What does an individual need to be discerning? And uh, first of all, we have to have the indwelling Holy Spirit. The, the truths of God, the Bible says these spiritual things are spiritually discerned. The natural man can't receive the things of God. So we need to be born again, saved, having God's Holy Spirit living within us. Next, we need in-depth Bible knowledge. Not just a verse here or a verse there. We need to be familiar, acquainted with all of Scripture. Then we need to be yielding to the Holy Spirit's guidance in our life. There are a lot of people that know the Bible from cover to cover, yet it does them no good because they don't agree with it and they're not giving themselves to God's truth. Next, we need a desire, a desire for God's wisdom. James talks about that, James chapter 1, verse 5. We have to want to know God's truth. Next, we need to have a humble, teachable spirit. God resists the proud. If we come to the Word of God arrogantly, I know it all, or we, we want it to say what we want it to say, we're not going to gain discernment. We're not going to see God's truth. Then we need proper hermeneutics. And we could do a complete another session on hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is the right way of interpreting the Word of God. Because all of these different religions and faiths, many of them use the same Bible, but they make it say something completely different. God has given us rules for interpreting the Word of God. We need systematic Bible study, which means daily. We don't just read the Bible for a devotional to feel good. We study it. What does the Bible really say about baptism? What does it say about sanctification? What does it say about eternal life? And hopefully, through these steps, we develop, as the Bible says, the mind of Christ. 
a biblical worldview. We see all of life, all of reality from God's perspective, which is reality, instead of living by, by our own ideas and by what man says. Well, um, do you have any final thoughts on this, Bill? That, that was quite a bit right there. Well, I threw in a lot at the end, but I would uh, test all things, hold to that which is good, abstain from that which is evil. First Thessalonians chapter 5, we are told to test all things against God's Word. Well, I hope this has been an important lesson for you today, that, that each one of you will go out and be a discerning Christian and not be taken in by the world's beliefs and philosophies. Thank you, and God bless you. If these lessons had been a blessing to you, you might consider financially supporting the Ministry of Creation Training Initiative. You can do this by going to our website, creationtraining.org. Again, that's creationtraining.org. Your tax-deductible donation of just $20, $50 or more a month, or a one-time gift of any amount will make you an education partner in building an army of Christian educators who can teach the biblical account of creation and train others to be able to defend their faith and be biblically faithful to God's Word as it states in 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear.